Kiona Lee, and welcome to Inside Intercom. What makes a great brand experience? Product design and marketing probably come to mind. How about customer support? I bet we can all name companies that provide great customer support and the companies that fall way short of the mark. Even products with stellar design need to make sure that users have access to great support because people won't always use our products as we intend them to be used. Questions will come up, and when they do, users will look to our support teams for answers. The experience that they have with our support team will shape how they feel about our overall brand. So, as you're building a great product, how do you ensure you're also building a customer support team that's totally in tune with your product and reflects the brand experience you're trying to create? At the Inside Intercom World Tour last year, our customer support manager Sabrina Gordon shared some best practices that have helped us build up a reputation for world-class user support. She joined Intercom as the third member of the customer support team, and since then has helped the team grow to over 80 people. Sabrina's seen firsthand what it takes to keep users happy in a fast-changing product environment. For example, your customer support team has to learn how to say no to certain feature requests. You can't know anything will be built for certain, especially in the early days. What you can and should know for certain are the principles that guide your product. This is customer support's secret weapon. For the time when your support team members have to say no to a user, they have to be able to explain why. Giving your customers context is essential to keeping them feeling valued and bought in. At the end of the day, you're building your product for them, and you want to make sure they know that. Last but not least, your support team has to understand when it's time to break up with a customer. As much as we'd all love it, your product isn't going to be right for everyone. And if you don't accept that and know that breaking up is okay, you run the risk of having frustrated customers who are struggling to use your product because they're trying to use it in a way it simply doesn't want to work. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Let's hear from Sabrina. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. <laughs> Hello. I'm Sabrina. I joined Intercom as the third member of our customer support team, and in the three and a half years since then, I've seen the team grow to over 80 people. Last year, I actually moved here to Chicago to open up our first dedicated customer support office. Now, at a product-first company, scaling a support team has its fair share of challenges. You're sitting in between this excited and growing customer base and a product team who's Building things and changing things and trying to execute on their vision. And when things are moving and changing that quickly, the internal decisions you make trickle down into the customer experience in some less obvious ways. So I'd like to share some of what we've learned with you tonight. Now, when I joined the team back in 2014, we were a typical startup. When I joined, by day two, I was a senior member of the team, basically getting thrown the most complex customer issues. Yet I had not taken the most direct route to the bathroom. There was one mantra that was introduced very early on that was crucial to our success. It was a key concept for support teams of all sizes, but especially one supporting a product in its early stages. Don't make promises. Now we weren't being cliche and saying under promise and over deliver. We were literally saying don't promise anything. 
But when you're on the front line, there's a real temptation to make promises in order to keep customers happy and secure them in the short term. Oh, you want this button to magically increase customer conversion? Sure, no problem. We'll get right to it. But you can't know anything will be built for certain, especially in the early days. What you can and should know for certain are the principles that guide your product. This is customer support's secret weapon at this early stage and at all other stages to follow. It's what enables you to spot the difference between a possible feature request, like an extra setting in an admin page, or a probable empty promise, like magic buttons. Saying no upfront shows your customers you have a solid understanding of what you are and aren't trying to be. Because when you're on the front lines every day, it's really easy to forget that your customers are human too, and they'll appreciate that honesty. So, for features that don't fundamentally add to what you're trying to do long term, just say no and don't promise. But how do you get away with saying no, not promising, and keeping your customers happy? That sounds impossible. But the key is saying no with a why. Now, giving your customers context is essential to keeping them feeling valued and bought in. At the end of the day, you're building your product for them, and you want to make sure they know that. Offering context around what you're building instead of that feature request they're asking for frames saying no in this whole new light. Explaining that it's not a mistake or an oversight, but actually a deliberate decision is often all you have to do to win them over. It's like when you try and say no to a kid, and they go, "Why?" Why? 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 But hopefully your customers are satisfied with like the first or second layer of context. For example, Intercom doesn't force their visitors to leave their email before allowing them to chat with you. But a lot of our customers, including I'm sure some of you tonight, really want that feature and think maybe just we haven't gotten around to building it yet. But actually, that feature doesn't fit in with our philosophy. We're not a big believer in contact forms and tickets, and once customers know and understand and buy into that, the conversation becomes a whole lot easier. So, what's the key to ensuring you and your team can say no like that? Well, it's a great relationship product. Now, when a company is small, it's really easy for customer support to work closely with products. You can hop over their desks or pop into their Slack channels. That was certainly true at Intercom, but. As we grew, in order to not annoy the shit out of our product teams, this communication had to become a whole lot more structured. But you can only have so many structured meetings every week, so our solution was actually to create a whole new position called product support engineer. These people were fully embedded into the product team, part of every decision and stand-up and emergency. But they actually still reported into customer support, and they owned the information flow between that product team and the support team. Now, clearing up how support and product work together isn't easy, but it has a direct impact on the customer experience. It was now somebody's core job to understand the why and share it with the support team, ensuring the customers were getting the right context. But now you have another role in a team that's already growing really quickly, and as you add more people, you have to add more layers of management, which causes decision makers to get further and further away from the customers. And the people that have the context are now several degrees of separation from not only your customers but the people who are talking to them. Jeff, who heads up our support team, 
works remotely. He lives in the Alps in Italy on the border of Switzerland. It is beautiful. I've already gone twice. Uh, when we were a handful of people, we all reported to Jeff, and that worked. Managers give roughly 10% of their time to each report. So when a manager has 10 reports, I'll do the quick math for you, that's 100% of their time. Their team feels the pain, and by extension, so do the customers. Say somebody on your team needs help improving the way they talk to customers. Well, you don't have any extra time to spare, and your customers are the ones that take the hit. So in order to give Jeff some more time back, we had to add a layer of management. And to ease into this, we fell back on dotted line reporting. This meant I was mentoring and overseeing my peers in San Francisco, but in actuality, I didn't have authority or responsibility over them. It's a fine temporary solution, but you have to go into it knowing the dangers. How does this internal band-aid have an external effect? Well, for example, if it's unclear who's responsible for communicating some constructive feedback to an individual, it takes a lot longer for that individual and your team as a whole to get better. On the upside, when the tipping point does come to add a layer of management, this dotted line reporting makes it an easy transition because hopefully the people you're mentoring and overseeing already see you as a more senior resource. Why is this good for our customers? Well, pretty much everything gets faster. Answers, improvements, feedback, all of those good things. We learned really quickly that this type of organizational growth isn't easy on our customers. Contacts now have to travel through so many more people. And I don't know if you guys have ever played the game Telephone and been towards the end, but we'll start that next Wednesday, quickly turns into we shipped that shit yesterday. Now, new layers of management make this telephone game harder, but so does spreading out geographically and literally having to use the phone. From day one, we built our product in Dublin and brought it to market from San Francisco. And with these two offices, we got 16 hours of support cover, which is awesome, but only two-thirds of the world. And for those of you who are trying to think of what the other third of the world is, it's mostly Asia. So enter our first remote hire. Now, in order to set this new team member up for success, we flew him to San Francisco for two weeks to onboard and then sent him back to his part of the world. Should be enough time, right? Well, we didn't think about how we were going to get him the information he needed at the hours he needed it. He often had to wait whole days to get his own questions answered, and communicating this wait time to our customers made us look really disorganized. I mean, we were disorganized, we just didn't want everybody to know it. As one remote rep became two, then four, then a small remote team, shit really broke. They felt out of the loop and disengaged, and not only did they suffer for that, so did the customers they were trying to help. And when things go that wrong, hopefully you let, at least learn a few things. So one of the things we learned was that it's really important to watch your language. There is a ton of legacy language that's going to need to change. For example, we were so used to saying Dublin and San Francisco, and now we had to have this whole new habit of saying Dublin and San Francisco and remote people. It takes time to change, and you need to be forgiving and understanding, but also correcting. Another big thing we learned was to communicate the obvious things. Now, you might think you don't need to communicate something as obvious as what hours somebody is working, but did you know that some parts of Australia observe daylight savings and others don't? It's very confusing. 
you want to err on the side of over-communication. You can never communicate too much. Recently, my team got annoyed at me for bringing up an upcoming workflow change every week in our team meeting for about two months. I thought to myself, this is the right amount of communication. Another big lesson is that technology is great, but guidelines are necessary. We needed to create some rules and guidelines to make sure the tech we were using wasn't just creating more problems. For example, we use Slack, and we really needed to encourage people to not use direct messages and instead use our public customer support channel so we didn't spend all of our time asking each other the exact same questions. Now, we don't have this all figured out. Once we nailed it for a few remote individuals, we then broke it again entirely when we tried to open up this new remote office. Uh, I think it's gotten a little better, but there's a bunch of people here that work in our Chicago office, so I encourage you to find them after the show and ask them yourselves. So, you've grown your internal org and structure in order to best support your customers. You've said no, you've given them context, and it's still not working out. What then? Well, sometimes customers just aren't a good fit, and even the greatest support team can only do so much. Now, the idea of breaking up with a customer and telling them they shouldn't continue using your product is a really tricky thing for support teams to get their heads around. You spend all this time and energy growing and scaling and adding time zones and locations and offices, all to ensure success, and now you're just calling it a day? It doesn't feel great, but it is the best option in some cases. As much as we'd all love it, your product isn't going to be right for everyone. And if you don't accept that and know that breaking up is okay, you run the risk of having frustrated customers who are struggling to use your product because they're trying to use it in a way it simply doesn't want to work. That customer who hacked your API to create their version of a magic button is never going to be happy. And no amount of remote teams or fancy management structures or embedded support people are going to be able to fix that. Neither to saying it's not you, it's us, but that's kind of what it is in this case. Now, this sounds like a bummer to end on, but I promise this is a real positive. Breaking up with customers like this allows you to focus your time and energy on customers who can actually get the most value out of your product. The interactions your customers have with your support team shape how they think about your product and your whole company, and growing a support team is hard. The interactions you make in order to make it easier will have unintended consequences on your customers. It sounds simple, but if I only learned one thing in the last three and a half years at Intercom, I mean, that would be crazy. But if I had to pick one thing, it would be that asking, how will this affect our customers, is never a dumb question. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.